Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode brand of the Word. New episode of the Word on the Hill. The Word on the Hill. With Father Peter Mercer. Ted Scott, Doctor Scott Powell. Welcome back. Thank You're you. You're back in the city of Boulder, dude. I am, and um, I'm in the city you. and county of Boulder. I'm loving it. I have to say that um, uh, driving 3,200 miles on a motorcycle. Oh my! I recommend for anybody who is sane in traffic. Who has the ability to concentrate for long periods of time oh. and has and has uh, buns made of steel? That sounds horrible. Did you wear bright bike shorts? Like, <laughs> no. do, you, do they make those for motorcycles? No, oh yeah, actually, I did. I did. I wear motorcycle like cycling, shorts, like spandex. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You they, wore spandex? No, I mean they have. It's kind of just padded padded underwear. Cool. It was good. <laughs> I um I have to tell you, um, I learned something while I was out. Tell on me the what road. you learned. I learned. I assume you learned many things. That I love flying kites. <laughs> so oh dude i have so many things to say about that. <laughs> i'm just saying like i went out to buffalo and my brother was like hey look i made these kites i got a book on how to make kites he made them yeah he oh, made the kites. mussets man and i was like dude, what does dude, your sister make my sister makes um a lot of art she you, makes angels and food and she's a angels runner and angel food cake and, and yeah and oh. she has a black walnut tree and i was trying to convince her to roast her own black walnuts which if you have they're I was like, you have a tree that produces food that you could eat, and yep. you have abundant walnuts that you would never know what to do with the a amount walnut of walnut tree. Yeah, we have a walnut tree actually on our property, and there, it's a black walnut tree here. Yep, in Colorado. Yeah, nut trees grow here. Yeah, I didn't know that. I don't. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not very orna ornithocultural. Ornithocultural. I don't know that word, but I um. So, so kites. You're into kites now. So so my brother. He Your new text, interest du jour. He's like he's like dude. He says you want to know what where one of the very best kite stores in the whole world is into the wind on Pearl Street. Oh my gosh, they like you have no idea. Wait, did you not know that? Well, I mean, I I mean, you know, it's a kite store, but you don't realize that I realize that it literally has the best designers, like like the most technologically advanced kite design from the best designers in the world. I don't know anything about kites, but I could have told you that. But I grew up here. Remember, I went to school like two blocks from there. So after school in like elementary and junior high, we'd all go down to Pearl Street and go to Into the Wind mm. and look at the kites. And I, like, And I would look at all of the weird tchotchke and all of the stuff that's like... You know, I, I I've bought books there. I've bought like you know hand buzzers. You know all the all the hand kind of buzzers. No, yeah, the novelty. It's like a novelty store. Whoopee cushions and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, so yeah, I no, went I hear you. and I bought a totally sweet kite. Boom! And you let my kids fly it. Who they you, they almost launched into the air. Uh, no, like for real. Like Lily leaned all the way back on that kite. She, it supported her entire weight. So this was great. So they flew a kite a kite up at Camp Voitiwa. Camp Voitiwa was about. You know, an hour outside of Boulder to the west. It's up in the mountains. But we were back at our house in Louisville last night. And our kids were playing with some kids on the street. And Lily was like, did you see the kite we were flying the other day? Because <laughs> she just assumed it was so high. Surely everyone in Colorado <laughs> saw it. She was like, it was 400 feet in the air. And the other kids were like, what? So she you, just had them mesmerized. She was like, you didn't see it. And they're like, maybe we did. <laughs> it was really cute to watch. Dude, I, I'm gonna buy more kite line because I'll tell you, I, I I was in Chautauqua just flying it this morning. I, I was getting exercise. I I was like, the, I was getting exercise well, by a, holding the string. Well, no, you have to like run. No, and you get do. It no, I'm sorry, that was mean spirited. But then you hold the string. <laughs> <laughs> you, we should, this is the amount of running that I want to do. No, that's good. That's a good amount of riding. Hey, speaking of kite flying, 
Well, today is going to be the 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time. <laughs> you better believe it. Um, and it's the year C. It'll be Sunday, July 17th, in it case sure you're wondering will. you want, to, want the page. I was wondering, but now I know it because you told me. And our first reading is from Genesis, the book of Genesis. Abraham. Genesis, um, yeah. Yep, 18, 1 to 10a. Mm. Our psalm, our responsorial psalm, that is. I like the psalm today, by the way. I do too, and I'm... Well, we'll get we'll get to that. Okay. Our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 15, verses 1 through 2, 3 through 4, and 5. And the responsorial itself is coming from verse 1a. So technically, it's actually 1 through 5. 1a. Hey, I didn't know you're Canadian. They have a good flag. The second reading is Colossians 1, 24 to 28. Keeping it Colossi. Uh, oh, our gospel reading. That's keeping yours. it Colossi, like yeah. you guys. <laughs> like did you just address us <laughs> our gospel is from luke chapter 10 verses 38 through 42 martha and mary not oh, to give anything away martha martha oh martha she's so anxious about many things dude i've i've i studied that one and i really looked at the words and oh I was, good well i, I won't i won't look happy. it up right now <laughs> <laughs> no i did too yeah. well i mean i put all my i put more of my effort into the genesis passage i put I that's put, how i roll well, yeah, I put more of my effort into the psalm and the gospel today. Cool. Well, then I'll talk about Genesis and Colossians. Yeah, dude. But okay, <laughs> I, oh, I have so many thoughts. How many thoughts? All right, so let's talk about Genesis. Dude, okay, with context of Genesis context is really, is imp- everything. Is really I'm important. I'm really happy that you found it. You were making a bunch of off-color jokes this morning, which tells me that you really studied the context, <laughs> which, is, which is really cool because without the context, you really don't, <laughs> you really don't see... The full meaning of what's going on here. You have to see the context or else everything that Abraham does here, it's Here's, just, he's just making cakes and hanging out. He's just being Martha. Yes. Yeah. If even that. If even that. But, but, but yeah, I mean, like, yeah, this is an interesting thing. So, t- so t- tell me a little bit about the context that you've discovered. Well, I thought you were going to talk about Well, I context. mean, okay. So what's that? There's only one context. Yeah. That, that Abraham has just been circumcised at 90 years old. Why? Tell me. <laughs> Well, you know, right? Do we? Well, okay. So here's the thing. So the there's a whole issue of how we approach the law in the Old Testament. So when we think of the law, you know, Paul in the New Testament talks about the law a lot. And when we think about those of us who know Scripture and study this stuff, when we hear about the law, quote unquote, we tend to think about the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, right? The stuff that kind of strikes us sometimes is the dry, dull law code stuff. Which is more than that. I mean, the Ten Commandments is a part of the law. But even way before any of that, the first, um, most of the law, let me put it this way. The Ten Commandments is a bit of a different thing. But most of the law, I think it's safe to say most of the law is punishment for sin. Right? Okay. Most I, of the I, law, I can, so Deuteronomy comes in a certain sense after Israel has sinned grievously by worshiping the golden calf. Leviticus, the Levitical priesthood itself only shows up after Israel has fallen to the sin of the golden calf. Right. They're given the Ten Commandments, this law which is intuitive and simple and straightforward, and we already kind of have written on our hearts anyway. They fail at those things, and so God has to heap more laws on top of them. It's like being grounded. It's like when you have to put more rules on your children who can't follow the simple rules that they've been given, right? Which mm. just makes sense. Yeah. So circumcision is really the first of those. So circumcision, we forget, it doesn't quite come in Deuteronomy specifically, but it is of the same nature because circumcision is in a very real way given as a punishment for sin. So circumcision only shows up in the story after Abraham has his ill-fated affair with Hagar, his wife Sarah's, mis- his wife Sarah's maidservant, 
right? And so the idea is Abraham and Sarah promised by God they're going to have children, which is what Abraham really wants. Abram, his name even means uh, beloved father, which his name is like insult to injury because he can't have kids. So, um, you know, God keeps promising him these things and he keeps going on. And eventually he's like, well, I better take matters into my own hands. My wife's not giving me any kids. And it's actually Sarah's idea, which is, which is tragic. She's like, well, no, you should, you know, here's my maidservant. Maybe, maybe that's what God wants. So we need to take matters into our own hands. And he does. And Ishmael is born and there's this strife between nations and brothers that still stretches till today. It's really messy. And the scriptures aren't explicit. It doesn't, say, it doesn't have God booming and saying, okay, because you did this, now this is going to happen. But if you put the pieces together, Abraham committed this particular kind of sexual sin. Very right, explicitly. Uh, absolutely. And there is a punishment which is sexual in nature. Right. The circumcision happens. Which, which the idea is God wants this to be something that you never forget. Never forget what you have done. Yeah. I don't want any of the generations who come after you to ever forget what actually happened and how it's me that you are to trust with your future. It is me that you are to trust mm. with your whole life and your offspring and your future and your everything, every, your body, every part of your life you are to entrust to me. So circumcision, and God only punishes, let's be clear, God only punishes for the sake of restoration. Right. For the sake of reconciliation. It's not just God is ticked off, so he says, do this. Right. It's so that we can be reminded and conscience, conscious and be brought back. So all that being said, Abraham, who you said was 90, is he 90, 90 years time, old, has just been circumcised. He's been asked to circumcise his entire household. His son's like 300 like, people. There's like a 30-year-old in there. Well, there's a whole, there's like 300 men that he has. And, you know, imagine 90-year-old Abraham, you know, he's got a shaking hand with his little knife. He's like, everybody, I got to tell you something. I mean, that would just be the worst. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's like, a, dude, Sorry. that's a There's hard, so many that, jokes a, that we could make from here. But the, the, I mean, I'm going to refrain. Yeah. You already made them before the podcast. <laughs> anyway, so a 90-year-old man, let's just put it this way. A 90-year-old man has just undergone a pretty severe and very painful surgery. And I'll tell you, the older you get, like riding my motorcycle... I mean, it's just just took my hands longer uh, being, you know, not 30. I'm almost 40. Took my hands longer. I actually had to shuffle decks of cards just to get the cuz I was holding while on. While you were for, driving? No, while I was when I got That's off the worse motorcycle. worse than podcasting while <laughs> while riding. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, so so I mean so. it's it's just harder to recover from bodily injury the older you get. What's beautiful though about this moment. So Abraham's life in a lot of ways is like a heart monitor, right? So he's constantly up and down and up and down. He's being faithful and he's being unfaithful. And he's doing what God has asked and he's not doing what God asked. And it, it really, he's, he's a microcosm of all of our lives because he tries to be faithful, then he blows it, and then he gets back up and then he blows it again. But this is kind of, at least for the, the Jewish rabbis, this in a lot of ways is kind of the pinnacle moment of Abraham's faithfulness. Mm. Because, and some of you have heard this before, and I learned this from our friend Tom Smith, but it goes way back to the ancient rabbis. In the Jewish mindset, what it meant to live a good life and live holiness was to follow this rule of, of these three things, um, the three W's in English, but uh, Torah, Avodah, and Gemilut Chesed, right? Have you heard this before? Have we talked about this on the podcast? Yeah, but um, but I, all of us could use a refresh. No, no, it's good. So this really does shape, in a lot of ways, the Jewish mindset of what it means to live. Torah, Avodah, and Gemilut Chesed. So Torah means God's word, right? Yep. So the three W's in English. So following God's word, listening to what he tells us. Number two, avodah means worship. 
giving to God what is rightly due to God's, praising him. And then the third one, Camille Luther said, is what we call the works of loving kindness, or what we might think of as the corporal works of mercy, right? That fits into this. So word, worship, and works. Word, worship, and works. Abraham is exemplifying acts of loving kindness toward another. So where we meet him in our reading this week, it says the Lord appeared to Abraham by the Terabeth of Mamre as he sat in the entrance of his tent while the day was growing hot. In some translation, it says during the heat of the day. So think about this. Number one, Abraham has just undergone a pretty painful, severe surgery that would leave a 90-year-old man incapacitated, right? right? This is a big deal. And yet, Right after this, what's he doing? He's sitting up in the entrance of his tent. He's watching. In the heat of the day, I mean, we're talking about the Middle East. We're talking about the hottest part of the world, perhaps. In the heat of the day, I mean, you're talking in the hundreds of degrees. This is the time of day when it could literally kill a person to be walking around. And what is he doing? He's sitting up when he should be laid up in bed, recovering from the surgery. He's sitting upright in his tent, looking for someone that he can give Kemilut Chesed to looking for some way to demonstrate God's loving kindness. When he should be worrying about himself in a certain sense and worrying about his own recovery and caring for himself, his concern is to care for someone else. I mean, that's it. I mean, how do you, how do you make that leap from, from him just like sitting? I mean, is, is it really just the posture that you're seeing that's saying like, like here we are like, okay, he's sitting in his tent looking. I mean, it says like he was, uh, Near the Oak of Mamre, he was sitting at the door of his tent during midday. Having looked up with his eyes, he saw and spied three men. Well, part of it is that culturally speaking, in the heat of the day, that's the time when everybody withdraws to the interior of their tents and the interior of their homes where it's the coolest and they can actually have refuge from the heat of the day. Right. And so culturally speaking, what you see is Abraham doing the opposite. He's not withdrawn into this interior. He's not taking it as a rest time. He's not doing the siesta. He's not in the cool of the tent. He's in the doorway. There's mm-hmm. no reason for him to be in the doorway. Right. And again, he's sitting up. But there's something about this whole passage. There's a lot of bodily movements that Abram makes <laughs> that speaks to this. So he sees these three men standing nearby. Again, people should not be outside in this time of the day. That's the other thing. What are you looking for? Nobody travels at that time of the day. It's just knowing you could be, you could die of thirst and of heat. Dude, the other day when I was riding on my motorcycle, I got so, I mean, it was hot and you get your whole suity suit. Yep. And, and like the wind, I mean, even with the wind, I was just like, man, so what did I do? Put on your jean shorts and tank top and went for it. (laughs) No, I I went and I I slept in a, a, a cemetery. Cause, it, cause, cause it was quiet and peaceful, and, and that. there was some trees with shade. And wow! I just, but I had, I had to seek shade and and like yeah. because I was, I was done and I was exhausted. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So Abram's doing the opposite of that, yeah. really. And then he sees these three people, and what does he do? He saw them, and it says he ran. He doesn't just approach them. He doesn't go out to them. He runs to them, mm. and when he gets to them, what does it say? And bowing down to the ground. I mean, I think the scriptures is really trying to go out of its way yep. to show that Abram is denying himself in a very real way, denying his own pain, denying what his body is telling him so that he can give this work of loving kindness. It actually said to someone the Septuagint says he prostrated himself. So yeah. he actually went down face all the down, way, all the way. Which is, it's significant that the scripture, so this is, I think there's clues in the text that it's trying to get you to see. This isn't just Abram's hanging out and he happens to see some guys, that he's looking for them. He's going out of his way 
And it, it, I think it is a big deal. And the rabbi certainly saw this as a big deal. Yeah. And he says, um, sir, so Abraham says to them, if I might ask you this favor, please do not go on past your servant. Do me a favor and let me serve you. In wow. other words, yeah. do this kindness to me by letting me show you a work of mercy. And he, he brings some water to wash their feet and he rests. And then he tells, to, uh, he says, Sarah, hey, make some of those best cupcakes everyone in the block loves and bring them out here. And, you know, he got some milk and he got some stuff and he, he cares for them. What's interesting is that the Engl- our English translations don't actually give us the same recipes. Like it says, <laughs> it says, bring out the bran flour um, uh, and knead it this and says, make bread. This is the fine flour. Yeah, and and it's actually more. Yeah, look, this is the finest flour, which takes a lot of effort to get to fine flour. Often, if you have to mill it a couple of times, and which means it's probably very pricey, or it took a lot of work to get, and so you're giving that away. Yeah, and there's like there, there's a certain sense of we're settled here. We're not traveling because you yeah. don't have milled flour oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. without a mill. Yeah. You need stones and it needs to be ground and it's really intense. Well, and they have milk, which means they have cattle and they have, you know, sort of things are set up for them to stay put. Totally. And, you know, tradition has said, so actually the way the story ends, they ate and they sent him to the tree. And then they asked Abram, where's your wife? And he said, she's over there in the tent. And one of them said, I will surely return about you this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Oh, This is finally the moment that they have been waiting for this entire story. Well, I actually want to point out something. The loaves that he gives, the the way in which it's cooked. So before we go on, it says loaves baked in ashes. Mm. And I just mm. think that, that that it's it's like bake this food is is like oh that's nice. No, it's actually bread rising from ashes. It's oh wow. It's the it's the totally spent. It's like the the totally spent embers of the the last bit of the fire but it's baked now in this ashen heap which is actually really beautiful whenever i'm seeing bread i'm looking and saying like what 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 points towards the eucharist and you have actually the death and the resurrection i mean like i know it's no 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 i'm stretch no i just want to get nitpicky about cooking over a fire but yeah i'm I'm just gonna let your point be because it's really beautiful why do you i mean i actually watched i actually watched cooked on netflix the other day and there were some maori people well, I'm um, just thinking the best way to cook over a fire. So, I mean, you could roast your hot dog, but if you're going to cook something on a fire, the best way to do it is wait till they turn to charcoals. Right. The ashy charcoals and then cook on that. So that's how I've always taken this, but that's actually really profound. Yeah. I, I mean, it just it, like the, the Septuagint makes a point to say these are loaves baked in ashes, which yeah. is yeah, often no, on the si- cool. side of the fire. And this is actually really kind of intense. That's cool. It's the intense fire. So I, I just, yeah. So keep going. Well, the only other thing I was going to add, so tradition has always held, so there's these three individuals. Tradition has always held that these are actually the three archangels who have kind of become incarnate to come to visit. So Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel. the other one, Gabriel, <laughs> flanked on Gabriel. Which, you've heard that tradition, right? And, yeah. and, you know, we're not sure. There, but it, there's it's, also a tradition that it's actually a visitation of the, Trinitarian, the, the Trinity. I've heard that too. Here's why I go with the archangels. So first of all, the, the Pentateuch makes very little distinction about when God becomes incarnate in different ways or the, 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 the angel of the Lord appears to somebody. It's always unclear whether it's God or a representative of God. Right. It just kind of says God is apparent in this way, right. which is interesting. But the other thing that's interesting, so there's three who appear here. Right after this or a little bit later, um, Abram's going to go on to Sodom and Gomorrah where things will get pretty ugly. But he only goes with two of them. There's one that's missing. So if you think about this, there's three angels or whatever it is that show up. He goes on from there with two of them. 
the tradition has also suggested that, so who are the angels? Michael, you got um, Gabriel and Raphael. So do you know what the name Raphael means? Huh. It means God heals. Well, which is also why it's the symbol of chiropractic. Exactly right. That's yeah, yeah, exactly right. Because Raphael is the one who shows uh, in the book of Tobit, we get to a really close introduction on, on Raphael. So why do you think only two go on from there with Abraham? Because the one that heals... What does Abraham need? He needs uh, a little bit of bed and breakfast. He needs a little bit of convalescing. Yeah. I mean, he's just undergone this pretty trying thing. His body's probably hurting. So this angel, perhaps, Raphael shows up, heals him, and then his job is actually done. And the other two angels accompany Abraham oh. to Sodom. We don't know for sure. Tradition has like, suggested that. Yeah, it's I a like neat that. insight, though. I think that's really cool. Realizing who Raphael is and what his name means, what Abraham needs at that moment, and God's response to Abraham's own generosity. Abraham doesn't go out expecting, you know, to get rewarded in that way for his gimilut has said. But God rewards him with this healing, and then it, I don't know. It's an interesting insight. I dig. It. I dig it. I, th- I mean, I, I'm gonna hang out with that. I'm yeah. gonna let that be a part of my uh, meditazione. So here's where I think it gets a little bit interesting. So then this is a good segue into the psalm. So that's the story. That's what's going on. And then you have the psalm, which I know you have some insight. But here's the question I want to pose to you, and maybe you can give me some. Well, I, I think I know the answer, but it's it's unexpected. So the response itself says, "It's Psalm 15. He who does justice." will live in the presence of the Lord. And what it seems to be suggesting to me... No, the response is, Lord, who who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your holy mountain? It's a question. Yes, but the lectionary says something different. So we have a little bit of an issue here. Yeah, and we both have different reflections, I think, <laughs> yeah. uh, then, because yeah. I love the antiphon as, as a question... Because what happens in this in the in can the we res- just tell the people really quick first what's going on here? What's weird about this? Yes. So this <laughs> I don't know why. Um, so we'll let you guys sort it out on Sunday. At least all you priests. So what my lectionary says here in front of me is Psalm. The the response is from chapter fifteen, verse one a, which is He who does justice will live in the presence of the Lord. But that's actually not Psalm fifteen one a. That's not what it says. So we're not actually even sure where this line is coming from in the scriptures. I have a thought on it, but I don't know where that line actually comes from. Someplace else in the scriptures, hopefully. Yeah. So, so we're going to roll with it. So whatever you guys hear on Sunday, you hear on Sunday. Yeah. And I, I, and I have a reflection on um, the actual 1A, 1B <laughs> thing versus the uh, the this other thing. And Scott, you have a reflection on the one I do. that you saw. So, I do. So I'm going to go with the scriptures for just a second, and then I'm going to see how it probably the scriptures too, just not 15.1a. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think that the question, Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your holy mountain? That sure does make more sense in light of the first reading. Yeah, exactly. Than what I had. And then, and then the rest of the psalm is concerned with actually showing forth who is the person who actually gets to do that? Yeah. Whoever walks without blame, does with the right, speaks truth in the heart, doesn't slander, doesn't harm a friend, does fame a neighbor, disdains the wicked, honors the Lord, keeps an oath, lends no money at interest, accepts no brides, acts like the whoever acts like this will never be shaken. So I'm looking at you, Visa MasterCard. Lends no money in interest. Yeah, Visa. Pretty sick of my credit card bill. <laughs> USAA with my mortgage. So, so I just think it's really, I think it's really beautiful because what we're seeing in relationship to what, um, what, what uh, Abram is doing, 
is that he has this moment where he, who gets to dwell in the Lord's tent? He was dwelling in his tent, but actually he, like by being willing to leave his own, he actually is being called forth to dwell mm. in the holy tent of the Lord, the, yeah. the presence of the Lord. And, yeah. and what are those qualities? I just think it's really, it's really cool. Like how do we live in the spirit? And I think that the Psalm 15 is just really nice. It's, and this is a place to where we know that we, we're not supposed to gossip because it's like, how do we not slander with our tongue or do harm to a friend or defame a neighbor? That's great. Yeah. What, do we speak truth from the heart and do what is right and walk without blame and disdain the wicked and say, like, I'm not going to hang out with the people who are going to bring me down. I'm not going to hang out with my nasty friends. My and nasty like, friends. And like, th- th- We've all got the nasty friends. Yeah, we do. And, and I, don't know, I just find it really beautiful. I was meditating on it today, and I was just like, ah, I was so filled with thanksgiving for this psalm and, yeah. and for the question. Who gets to dwell in your tent and abide on your holy mountain? And and it's 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 like it's the opposite of law. It's like it's it's like, no, this is actually what the qualities of somebody, and this is actually where I find um we want to venerate the saints. Yeah. And like cause because the saints are the ones who do this, and we want to honor those who fear the Lord. And right. and like and to honor those who have actually done that. And I and that's what I really saw this morning is just like Veneration of the saints is like so helpful in this process. Okay. So if the question is who gets to dwell in your tent, wherever this line that I have from Psalm 1a shows up is in a certain sense part of the answer. He who does justice will live in the presence of the Lord. So who gets to dwell in your holy tent? The one who does justice. Well, so the question that was arisen in my mind is... Is what is justice? What is justice? And I go back to St. John Chrysostom. So what what I'm seeing here and what I think is is getting at, what Abraham is doing is not just... You know, we, we we think of something that Abraham is doing, we think of it as he's just kind of doing this extra nice thing and that he's extra special because he's doing this. Rather than know what Abraham is actually doing is justice. Right. To perform works of loving kindness. Gemilut chesed, right? Right. This is just. Because what's what's the traditional definition of justice? The definition of justice is to give to God and to others what is due to them. To give to God and others what is due to them. So St. John Chrysostom, and this always just floors me, and I I always struggle with it a little bit. But St. John Chrysostom actually says, you know, if we don't give to the poor, we are stealing from him. Do you remember that? I don't yeah, know if you've seen that. Absolutely. Which, again, that's it's shocking. If you don't give to the poor, you are stealing from them. Well, wait a second. That doesn't make any sense. They don't have a right to the $20 bill in my pocket or, you know, to my... Well, what do they have a right to? Well, they don't have a right necessarily to the money in your, in your wallet. But what do they have a right to? Injustice. They have a right to your charity. Your mm-hmm. charity toward them is something that is due to them. Mm-hmm. The poor actually... That is theirs. And to not give our charity in whatever form that takes is, according to St. John Christendom, one of the fathers of the church, it is stealing from them. It's not enough to just be like, oh, poor guy, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm going to put it out of my mind. In justice, we actually have to do that. And so what we see Abraham doing is not just this, wow, what a neat extra special thing he's doing. No, he's doing the only thing that is proper to what God has done for him. My, if I'm making the claim that I'm going to live, hopefully in the presence of the Lord, in his tent, if I want to be, dwell in God's tent, then the only proper response is to show chesed to those around me. Right. I have to. It's not an option. Right. It's not something extra that I kind of do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to do these things. Right. And then maybe as an extra special thing, I'll do something for the, 
you know, the person who's struggling or the poor person or whatever it is. It's not an add-on in right. the faith. It's fundamental. It's fundamental. And it is an act of justice. Why is it justice? Because the poor and those around us actually have a right to our charity, to our love, to our chesed. Otherwise, we're actually robbing them. Mm. And how many of us live our lives robbing people around us of the charity is that, that is actually due to them? And not just the poor people on the side of the street, but, you know, your neighbor who actually is in despair or the person, your coworker who's struggling from depression or, you know, whatever it is that we ignore and we don't see. That's what Abraham has finally, despite the pain in his body, that's what he's finally gotten. That, oh, my vocation is to actually be this. Because he should know Ooh, way back yeah. from chapter 12, yeah. part of his vocation is to be a light to the world. Through your descendants, all nations will be blessed. He's already put a curse on the nation of Egypt. Remember that when he sold his, his wife, Sarah, right. to them. He's, he's done a lot of damage. And now he's realizing, oh, wait a second. My call is to actually be something else to the world. But it is, it is an act of justice. It is. And that justice is understanding what is needed from us at a given time. And that, I think, is, I know we have Colossians between, but that does set us up for the gospel. Well, and Thomas Aquinas talks about how justice is, his definition is to give what is due. Yeah. Give each is due. And so we can can actually go with the, the three W's. Word, worship, and works. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so, and to reorient those things, and so mm. then we can do the do, do the do, baby. And okay, so here's the thing about Colossians, um, the book of Colossians. Part of what's going on there. What? What are you laughing? At? I just think, I laughed. I remember last time I said uh, Colossians. Keeping it Col- Oh, oh man. Sometimes we need a spiritual Colossianoscopy. Yep. That was weird. That way, hey, anyway, that's rejoicing in, in the sufferings for your sake, y'all. Which is, it's but, so but, cool. I love the translation, by the way. Wait, before the you Greek. go there, though, I want you to say it. But before you go there, okay, you need to understand that part of the issue that's happening in Coloss in Colossae, okay, which is this church that Paul's dealing with. Part of their issue, the big thing that Paul is responding to in this letter is that they've fallen into a sort of Gnosticism, mm. which is, it's sort of a pre-pseudo-Gnosticism, because Gnosticism at this point in history hasn't become full-blown yet. But Gnosticism suggests that things of the earth, bodily things are bad. Matter okay. is bad. Spirit is good. Okay. So we need to deny ourselves and, you know, bodily things and, and things that are very human. Those are not important. Only spiritual things are. It's a sort of... um over overemphasis on transcendence. And so Gnosticism produced heresies like, well, Jesus didn't really suffer in a body. He just looked like he did. He appeared oh. to. Because really, he's pure spirit, and he's God, and God can't really suffer. But that's actually heretical, because no, Jesus really took a body, and that body was good, and he raised that good body from the dead. He didn't just look like it. He didn't just appear to have a body. He really did, and he, and had, he redeemed flesh, yes. really literal flesh and blood. He had a musk. <laughs> He had a musk, musk. So, but that's important though, because if you're in a church or a society or whatever that is downplaying the importance of physical material things, then you're going to miss what Paul is trying to say. Because Paul actually brings up the idea of Christ and his body more times in the book of Colossians than he does in any other book. Because he's emphasizing, no, this is real, which also is suggesting that what Abraham is doing, it's really important. He has to provide bodily, physically, for what's going on around him. It matters that he is producing cakes and bringing milk and caring for the temporal goods 
of these visitors he has while suffering in his own physical body. This isn't just a spiritual kind of nirvana experience. I just need to go beyond my body. It matters that Abraham probably is in real pain and he's offering that pain for these people. Right. It's not just being getting beyond the pain or transcending the pain. It's actually taking the pain and offering it. That's what Jesus does. He doesn't transcend the cross. He takes on the cross full bore. And he gives it over to us, for us. Well, and that's actually where, he, like, St. Paul is already just starting to talk. And I like the Greek. It says, now I rejoice in my sufferings on behalf of you. Mm. Like, on for your sake. I mean, that, yeah. like, yeah, that, yeah. like I, I like the changing the word order up a little. On behalf of you. Yeah. There's something so profound about the intercessory nature of what he is actually doing. Because yes. um, the, it, what's funny is that the, it, it actually cuts off the last line of the thought of the paragraph. He says, um, I, uh, I, um, uh, I want to make every uh, person mature in Christ. I labor striving according to his working, uh, which is at work in me powerfully, mm. which is saying that, that he's He's interceding because Christ has interceded. Yes, and 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 they cut that last line yes. off. But, but, and and yeah. and and I find that that it's actually it it actually wraps up the whole idea that because Christ has suffered for us, we have a path and we have this thing. Which what does it say? He says, "I." The last line we get is it says that we may present everyone perfect in Christ, yes. which is a teleon. Which is which has its root in telos, yeah. which is end, the mature end. perfection. Maturity is this is this beautiful ability to know what your end is. And yeah. I just have been I've just been geeking out on that whole idea of yeah. what, what it means to be mature is to understand the ends, to draw real conclusions about what the nature of things are. And that's where Saint Paul is so advanced. He's yes. looking at this and he's saying. I suffer for a purpose. We look at Abraham. What is he doing? This is so revolutionary. He should be yes. sleeping, but he suffered for a purpose. Yes. He knows for his own sin, but he's actually allowing this. And the, even the pain, maybe the pain's keeping him up, but he's allowing yeah. that to actually be intercessory. And yes. he says, let me do this, do this favor to me because I want to intercede on your behalf. Yes. And which is something that we totally forget. We have a lot of suffering, and we say if suffering is useless, we we're hedonists at our heart. Absolutely, hedonism says um, avoid pain, seek pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. which which unfortunately we we've taken to ourselves, where it's like saying no, there is. I suffer on behalf of you. We are connected. We're not isolated. Which We're is, not just floating off on ourselves. And, and when I'm going through something, I can actually do it on behalf of people. And frankly, hedonism is just another branch of Gnosticism. Because you can have the Gnosticism which says, look, material things are bad, spiritual things are good. Or just the Gnosticism that says, look, your body doesn't matter. So, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. It doesn't matter what you do. Right. You know, because it's just this is just a vessel. You know, blah, blah, blah. Um a lot more I'd love to say about that, but but I shouldn't. But we, what I need to add, and this is a, a passage that gets real problematic, and people really struggle with this, especially our Protestant friends, because there's something about the Catholic ethos and understanding of this that helps us to get this in a way that some of our Protestant friends miss. But he says, Paul says early on, in my flesh, that is in his body, I am making, I'm filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. I make up for what is lacking in Christ. And people want to say, wait a second, what is lack? Christ did it all, right? He, he suffered all for all. What could possibly be lacking? Well, the only thing that's lacking in the sufferings of Christ is our participation in it. Right. He can't make us participate in his sufferings. What's lacking is us. 
and our choice to say, yes, I will join myself to that. That again, this is what Abraham is doing. He's saying, okay, now it's my turn to participate. God has been doing all of these things. I've been going wild, making my own choices, taking matters in my own hands, doing whatever I wanted to, not conforming myself to what God wants. Now is my choice to participate in that. I'm attentive. Even that position and sitting in the tent, what is he doing there? Well, yeah, he's looking, but just there's a sense of attentiveness. What does God want of me in this moment? Hmm. And how I long to be like Abraham in my life and you know, whatever I'm doing to have that sense of sitting up attentive to what is around me. We, we tell the Camp Boitiba staff mostly on a, you know, on a programmatic and, and, you know, outdoor leadership level, we'd say our mantra is you have to have your head on a swivel. Your head always has to be on a swivel. What's that kid doing? Is that, is that kid dehydrated? Is there a water source over here? What are the clouds doing? How's the weather looking? Is there lightning? You know, your head is always on a swivel. But what I've started to tell them in the last week or so is, is your head on a spiritual swivel? You know, what's happening with that person? Am I attuned to that person in my life? You know, am I attuned to this temptation or this, this uh, near occasion of sin? Am I, am I walking into the wrong place? Am I, you know, right. do we have our head in that spiritual swivel? Are we attentive to what God wants? Because how many times in our life does God put someone or something in our path that he would love us to give ourselves to that we just miss because our mind is someplace else Mm. or we're not attentive. We're not sitting at the door of our tent watching and waiting for what God has for us. That is participating. That is what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ is us saying, okay, I want to be attentive to what he has for me in this moment. Right. And that's what Abraham gets. And that, see, I think Martha gets a bad rap. In, in the Martha and Mary account, because that takes us to the gospel. Luke oh, chapter 10. I'm very excited about the words in this one. Yeah, <laughs> your eyes. You got the crazy eyes. I got the crazy eyes. Well, because there's three things, and we skip one of them in a translation. Okay. Um, so Martha, Martha, you guys all know the story. They were continuing on a journey. There was a sister, Mary, sitting at the feet of the Lord, took her place at the feet of the Lord, is what it actually really says. By the way, just to point out, just to put them in context, Martha and Mary are probably two of Jesus's very best friends because remember they have that brother named Lazarus who we find out in the gospel of John. Remember he raises Lazarus from the dead and he's Martha and Mary's brother. They show up a lot. They're, they're really tight. So just, I think it's an important context. This isn't just Jesus ran, walking into some rando's house right. and calling her out. Martha and Mary are really close friends of Jesus. And we forget that Jesus has really close friends. Right. He's like, oh, I want to swing by these guys and, and visit my friends over there. I was just kind of cool. Yeah, listen to the Greek word ordering. Okay. Uh, I think this is really cool. Uh, um, uh, but Martha was distracted with much preparation. She she was distracted with much preparation. It says, uh, the translation in the New American says that um, she was burdened with much serving. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, now what's interesting is uh, th- then she goes and she totally, she, she's so bold. She's like, tell my sister to help me. Yeah. She doesn't address her own sister, which is like, that's a little weird. Maybe she did though at some point. Some, I, I like to give her the benefit of the okay, doubt. Maybe cool. she was like, come on, help me. It's like, I'm going to tell Jesus if you don't help me. Martha, Martha. I, I mean, the double, the double name calling is so intense. In Greek, well, I, I take this for what you will. In Greek and in Hebrew as well, more so in Hebrew, it's more emphasized in Hebrew. Um, when you see words doubled or tripled, it doesn't necessarily mean that they've been said multiple times because there's no there's no way to, um, uh, what's the word? There's no superlatives in those languages. Well, Greek has a little bit, but Hebrew especially has no superlatives. Right. So if you want to say someone is really tall, there's no word for really. So you just say they're tall, tall. 
So if somebody is like really emphasizing something or even yelling something, you might repeat the word. So I wonder if Jesus is like, Martha! Not that he says it multiple times, but he yells it. Yeah, Martha! Come on, man! You're anxious and troubled about uh, about pola, many things. Mm. Oligon, few things are necessary. Or henos, only one thing. Mm. So when you have three words, it's many. He says only. He says few things are necessary, or only one thing. Where what where we get in the translation, it says, "Martha, Martha, yeah. you anxious, worried about many things. There is need of only one thing." So we miss that. We miss the fact that that there are it's many things. She's doing all sorts of preparation. She's running around like Abram. But Ooh. this is. I mean, I disagree. But. Okay, see, this is good. I mean, like, she's running around doing stuff, and she's trying to do too much. And he's like, he's like, reduce this down, and then points to Mary. I I disagree. Talk to me why you disagree. (laughs) Because as a bit of a Martha myself, I think this gets a bad rap, because, you know, they're... I think Should, she's just being excessive. Well, no, here's she's, what, she's here's supposed what, to serve. There's a nuance to it. Here's here's what I think is going on. So and yeah, that's what that I, I, that's what I'm saying. The wording is, but talk to me about what you see. Well, what I'm seeing is this, and it's it's subtle, and I, maybe it's just in my head. Um, everything she's doing is good. I mean, yeah. you have Jesus over. You should prepare the table. You should clean. Hesed. I mean, we have people staying in our house. Some good friends are staying in our house tonight. And so before I left this morning, I wanted to make sure the house was perfect. Like I really want it clean. I want the bathrooms clean, the toilets scrubbed. You know. That matters to me. And, you know, they're going to be perfectly happy even if everything's not perfect. But I still want it to be as perfect as I can. I think that's a good thing. You know, you want food in the fridge and all the stuff. But what Martha's not doing, so everything she's doing is good. You know, Jesus came over for a meal. If, If you invite someone to your house for a meal and you don't produce any food, then you're just... You're just a lousy host. That's just not right. Dude, I've had, well, to, I've had to host like two people and yeah. I have no kitchen. So thanks for <laughs> hurting Come me. on. But if you did have a kitchen. Yeah. What Martha's not doing, she's not doing anything wrong. What she's not doing was what... And, and here's the difference with her and Abraham. Bless you. Excuse me. Abraham, it's not that Abraham is running around trying to do all these things. Abraham is trying to be attentive in that moment to what is necessary. In that moment, in Abraham's moment, what is necessary is bringing food and drink and shelter to these people. That's what's necessary. Prudence is being able to discern what is necessary in a particular moment, which is different than the next moment, different than the previous moment. Right. So for Abraham, what he needs to be doing is the stuff that Martha's doing here. Right. What Martha is missing is that in this moment, something else is necessary. Mm. She's not attentive. She's not sitting at the tent, the, the door of her tent, waiting and watching for what God wants of her. Right. She's got a preconceived notion of what it ought to be. Right. All of which are good, fine things. But in that moment, something else is needed. So it's really this question of however we want our world situated and our little lives to be and the things that we want in our life ordered. Are we willing to drop those expectations at a moment's notice for whatever God is calling us to? You know, you're on your, you're on your way to uh, lunch with a friend and some poor soul grabs you desperately in need of confession. Are you able, and I mean you specifically, are you able to be like, well, no, I got to get to this lunch with my, with my friend. Or right. are you saying maybe there's, I need to put that aside for a moment because God has put something else into my life. Or are we so locked into, no, I need to do this right now. You know, I'm, I'm, I need to go 
do whatever it is or work on this thing. But my, my son or my daughter is crying. You know, something has happened. Their feelings are hurt. Can I drop that thing and go be attentive to what needs to happen? Not mm. that my work is bad or making dinner is bad or whatever it is is bad, but are you willing to drop it and be willing to totally drop it for the sake of what God has placed in front of you? That's what Martha can't do. It's yeah. not that she's busy. It's not that she just needs to work. Yeah. It's that she can't recognize in prudence the discernment between what is necessary in that moment. Right. Does that make any sense? Totally. So it's not that I, it, she wants to do stuff. And it's not that Abraham doing the very same things is bad. He's no. actually right to do those things because in that moment, that's what's needed. Well, and that's actually where Jesus is saying, you have a preconceived notion. Let it go. Simplify and join your go. system. That's why I think Let that... Let go. <laughs> can't hold it back. And I, I, Aragorn says the same thing in, in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I think he says, he says, he who cannot... Um, Abandon a treasure in the moment of need. Yes. Has lost the path. Yes. You know? And so it's it's like, yes, you treasure making a wonderful, beautiful gourmet meal for the Lord. Yeah. But in, a, in the moment of need, the Lord's like, come, take your place. Right. Prepare. Hesed. But now let's sit together. Let's be together. It's it's. But it, that is the act of hesed in that moment. Right. What she, her act of loving kindness is actually dropping things for a minute to be attentive at the feet of Jesus. Cause right. that's what Jesus wants of her. Right. In that moment. Yep. Yeah. So right. it's all about, these readings are just all about discernment. Right. It's not, there's not a one, one size fits all thing because God is going to ask something different from all of us in every different moment of our lives. Are we going to be sitting at the gate of our tent or the door of our tent waiting and watching for whatever that is? Right. And ready to go at a moment's notice. It's like a couple of weeks ago we had Alicia, right? Are you willing to take your hand off the plow and follow? Or do you have to turn back and do all these other things first? Hmm. Jesus says there's no time for that now. you got to follow now because it's hmm. imperative. Are we willing to drop the plow which, which, to not look back and to go? Which is a little death. And that's yeah, actually... it's a big death. That, that's what that's what St. Paul's getting at. He's, yes. he's like, I am actually going to have to suffer in the flesh. I'm going to have to suffer in time, right. in money, in effort, in plans, in intentions. Jesus probably would have loved to finish his prayer time in the garden. He's like, well, here come the soldiers. It's time to go. It's time to be arrested now. I'm going to move. Right. And, and that's what it means to take up our cross and... And to make up what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ, to participate in that, to die to ourselves, to drop everything and to go. <clears throat> well, that's all the time we have today. Wow, that was a really good podcast, bro. We got to drop everything and end the podcast. We got, yeah, I've got a lunch, dude. Well, I you better guess it. it. Uh, I'm going to order a lot of things or something. I don't even good know. for you. All right, well, we'll be back next week, you guys. Have a wonderful 16th Sunday of Ordinary Time. Who knows what you're going to find out when you hear the psalm read today. Uh, on Sunday, because we had the wrong song. Yep. We don't know. Anyway, we'll be back next week. See you later. God bless you. Bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.